Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Bo and Johnny and we, Luther Muhammad has saved a basketball season. So we got that to talk about, <laughs> which is nice. This was going pretty damn poor. Uh, the loss to Purdue uh, last week was one that felt like just a death knell. I didn't know. I mean, you still lose five in a row and then you're staring down the barrel of at Nebraska at Michigan. And you just don't know, you know, when this thing ends. It felt like it could very easily swell to a seven-game losing streak. Um, there had been a trend of things that had happened in these games, notably Caleb Wesson getting in foul trouble and Ohio State not figuring out a way to play. And I actually think what happened in the game against Purdue in the second half when Wesson got in foul trouble and they went small ball, and it was uh, his brother Andre had a very big game, um, but that those few minutes when they kind of figured out how to play without him, I think were critical in the game in Lincoln on Saturday. And the Muhammad has, you know, his best game as a Buckeye. And we had been missing a lead guard. We'd been missing somebody who could initiate their own offense. And this kid delivered. Um, I don't know still, I think this is going to be a tough road to hoe because of, um, because of some of the limitations this team has from a consistency standpoint on the perimeter, but this at least allows for, some interesting games to come. You got Michigan this week, and then it's a stretch of you know four games that are all very winnable. So you can get this thing back on the track, and at the very least, you can keep basketball relevant through February uh, in Columbus, Ohio, which is which is job one if you're Chris Holtman in year two, I would think. Yeah, I, I you know I don't see them beating Michigan, obviously, but I agree yeah. with you. I, I think that they they found a little bit of a rhythm. Obviously, Luther, you know, putting it together and having the game that he did is is huge. You know, I I expected them to beat Purdue, and I expected them to lose Nebraska. They flipped that, which is fine, yeah. but, like, you know, this was a hard part of their schedule. I think everybody knew that, and I also think that, you know, they're going to do pretty well after the, the upcoming Michigan game. I think they're going to rebound a little bit. I think they're going to be able to get th- some things together. I don't think Chris Oldman was under any kind of, you know, illusion that they were going to go ahead and just beat the crap out of the rest of the big 10 and, and maybe only lose a couple games and get like a six seed or a five seed or something in the tournament. I, I don't think that's something that he ever really expected. And I think it would have been a yeah. little bit silly to, to hope for it, but I want to see improvement and Luther Muhammad having a breakout game. That's improvement. That's great. Especially when you've got a guy in Caleb who has had a lot of inconsistently inconsistency problems and, and again, getting in foul trouble and all that stuff. So you know, it's it's just one of those things where you're looking for positives. There was a pretty big one. And if that can continue, even if they don't beat Michigan and Luther still has a really good game, puts up 18, 20 points, that's going to be something that you can carry on to the easier part of the schedule and, and get back into the NCAA conversation a little bit. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's any like, you know, when we when you think about like what what should this team be in year two with the loss of Bates Diop? I mean, that that season last year, you know, it puts you in a position where I think um, you know, it's basically, it's basically house money last year, right? Yeah. I mean, they so <laughs> overachieved anything that you thought that you come into this year. And then I said, look, you know, be on the bubble. That that's my thing. Be on the bubble. And they, they did everything in the preseason, um, to lead you to believe that they were going to be that and more in fact, got as high as ranked 13th in the country. And then you rattle off the five straight losses. I'm with you. I thought, you know, beat Purdue. I thought losing at Nebraska for sure. Um, and, and then you looked at Michigan. And now if you look at the schedule. So right now we're 13 and six. You're eighth in the Big Ten. Let's just play the schedule game really quick. At Michigan, both think they're going to lose, right? So now yeah. you're 13 and seven. Rutgers at home should be a win, 14 and seven. Penn State at home should be a win, 15 and seven. At Indiana is a coin flip. Let's give it to Indiana since it's, you know, it's an away place. So that's at, what's at 14 and eight. Illinois mm-hmm. at home is 15 and eight. 
uh, at Michigan State is 15 and nine. Northwestern at home should be 16 and nine. At Maryland would be 16 and 10. Iowa at home should be 17 and 10. At Purdue would be 17 and 11. At Northwestern, coin flip, let's give it to us 18 and 11 uh, versus Wisconsin. Let's say you win at home, you're talking 19 and 11. So that's bubble, is what yeah. that is. Um, that's right on the bubble. That is needing a big run in the Big Ten. The good news for us, if we're talking about the tournament, and frankly, that's the goal, make the tournament, is that a lot of the other leagues in this country that normally get a lot of bids are not. Um, there's conversation that the Pac-12 is going to have one, could be a one-bid league um, because of how down that league is. So there is opportunity here for sure um, to 19-11, played an aggressive out-of-conference. This season still has a lot to it. Um, and a lot still to play for, and those goals of making the tournament are still very, very much alive. Um, it's it. This is going to be though a slugfest, night in and night out for this team. Like nothing's going to come easy um, until Caleb Weston can either stay out of foul trouble or learn to play with fouls. And I think he should probably do the latter: is learn how to play with fouls. Right. Until that happens, this is the way that this thing's going to go for this team. Um, my hope is that what we saw. And the hope of Buckeye fans everywhere is what you saw Saturday at Nebraska will be continued from Luther Muhammad. To me, he's got the most ceiling for sure of anybody um, that, that could help out. And so that's the guy that I look to and say, boy, let's hope we can have some more of that. I was talking to you about the Pac-12. Think about this. The Washington Huskies are 16-4. and four. Now, this is a big league that usually gets at least you know three to five teams in. Right. They are 16 and four. The number two team in the league is USC at 12 and eight. And then Utah is 11 and eight. They're the three Arizona state Crazy. is 14 and six. I mean, their, their whole league is, is, has multiple, multiple losses. Like it's just a really down year for that league. So unless they're going to go the mid major route, which you know, they don't want to do, cause that's not, that's cost prohibitive to their ratings. Um, they, I think you're going to, you're still very much in it at Ohio state with, with yeah. a 19 and 11 record. This is this is such a weird season to this point in, in mm-hmm. NCAA basketball, top to bottom. Just the, a lot of the I mean, yeah. again, Duke's gonna be there. Tennessee obviously is is the team, you know, it's the team du jour, but it there's so like aside from I would say maybe the top seven or eight, where you expect some of those teams and their perennial favorites and all that, there's so many teams that you would not expect to be yeah. that highly ra- I mean, what well we you mentioned Nevada Tennessee. There? Yeah, Nevada. You mentioned Tennessee. They're not, they're no basket. Rick Barnes is coaching Tennessee, right? Like, right. Who the hell had that? That yeah. somehow Tennessee basketball would send a number one in the country with Rick freaking Barnes, who got I ran out of Texas. Crazy, but I think Buffalo in the top 25, <laughs> like, right? Yeah, that's right. That's not, I mean, that's one of those situations where it's like, okay, right state's making a run or UD. Like, that's right. I, I mean, I love that. I, I absolutely love that about college yeah. basketball. I think that's incredible. But that, to your point, I think that's 100% correct that an Ohio State because you got a name and because you'll be a television draw, get to 20 wins, get to 20 wins and see See what happens happens. and you'll be fine. And it's not, you know, it's not a situation where you're going to get a favorable draw or you're going to get a great location. But if you want to be Chris Holtman and start to sell kids on your Ohio state program, and you will be able to say, all right, NCAA tournament here, that's, that's, something you can kind of put on your, you know, your resume a little bit. And that's, again, it's not about going out and winning the big 10 or winning a championship right now, but it's maintaining momentum. And when you have Absolutely a you know, critical, yeah. And when you have an ostensibly down year and you're losing guy like Kata Bates, Diop, but you can still manage that. I think that's a victory. That's that to me is a success. That to me is a huge success of course. in year two. Yeah, it is. And you've got a bunch of kids that are going to be back. 
And yes. so, you know, we were saying like, well, we need a lead guard. Well, you got one coming in and DJ Carton, who scored 49 over the weekend, thousand point score, just missed <laughs> out on being a McDonald's right. all American. So he's got a sizable chip on his shoulder. So you've got a guy coming in and who's going to do that. You got three top 50 players in the country coming in. You're going to add them to a team that doesn't have anybody of consequence leaving. So, I mean, Caleb Wesson, this is interesting. Like Caleb Wesson, by the time he's done, because he's going to be a four-year player, Caleb Wesson's going to own a lot of records. Mm-hmm. He's going to end up being in a lot, just because guys don't stick around four years. So he's going to he's going to be like, I can tell you, he's a guy as a senior, could be like Big Ten Player of the Year type kid, um, just based on the fact that I don't think he'll ever go pro. So four-year four year starter at Ohio State, that starts to accumulate. Um, so I, if I'm Holtman, what I'm thinking in my head is, all right, everybody's coming back. Two more years of Wesson. Add Carton and Gaffney and these guys to this class next year. None of those guys should be one and dones. I don't think they will be. Um, so now you're talking about twenty in two years, twenty twenty one. Now you're a Final Four team. Caleb, yeah. you know, like Caleb Wesson senior year. Now you're a Final Four team. And if you were to write out, you know, in a manifesto, what should Ohio State be? That's what it should be to me. They should be a team that wins the Big Ten every once in a while. You know, once or twice every five years, once every five years. They should be the team that's in the tournament always. Should always make the tournament. Five out of yes. five years should make the tournament. Right. Get to the final four once in five years. You know, two final four trips, maybe, maybe a final four trip a decade. Get to the Elite Eight twice every every 10 years, something like that. That's that to me is what Ohio State should be. And that is that is a, a standard that you had under Thad, but other than Thad and the beginning of Fred Taylor, you haven't. But I think that's the potential, and that's the program Holtman can build. Yeah, I mean, if you've got guys, especially these multi-year guys, I mean, I, I love the idea of Cardin and uh, Luther in the same, you know, on the same, yeah. on the same like backcourt. They're still they're doing their thing like that. If you can weaponize both of those dudes and get to the point where you've got one guy who can kind of operate inside a little bit, another guy can just shoot from wherever. That's that's. Honestly, you don't need a complete team in college basketball. You don't need to have a guy. You don't need to have like a build a Warriors team at every level. If no. you can have a deadly, you know, weapon to use that other teams can't defend against, you get to the NCAA tournament every time. So I just love the idea of some of these guys coming in and doing really cool things. Not necessarily because they're, you know, they're going to have this complete team, but just because I like watching fun exciting stuff like we were talking a little bit about uh d'angelo russell like that you know that's the stuff i love like it doesn't necessarily have to have like five guys backing him up and like you know making sure that every position's you know locked down with a you know mcdonald's all-american but if you can facilitate one or two guys being really really great you can have a really great team and we saw that with like you know soldier and, and turner and just have some role players around them to to help them out and you can have a you know a run you can get to the final four Absolutely. I'm glad you brought up D'Angelo Russell because as, as I'm sure you've noticed, he is having a spectacular year yeah. in the NBA with the Brooklyn Nets. It's a real shame that the Lakers didn't view him. I don't know that it was tenable for them to keep him because of um, because of what happened with the, what was it? Wasn't it Swaggy <laughs> P and Iggy Azalea or something? Yeah, it was something um, stupid. Like, out of Swaggy P for cheating on Iggy Azalea or something right. like that. It's incredible that that's all had been said in one sentence, but I think that's what happened. Um, so they basically had to ship him out, and they did, and they used it as a way to drop a salary. Uh, so they were able to get rid of a salary and, and in turn get rid of uh, – they had to get rid of D'Angelo Russell to do so, and the Nets gained from that because he's been great. Um, he's been the player that you thought he would be when he was at Ohio State. He's got an outside shot because the East is very, very weak. 
he's got an outside shot at being an all-star. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's possible that he could be and has really blossomed into a really nice player. And it got me thinking, um, who is the, who is the most fun? What player is the most fun you had watching Ohio state basketball? What player is responsible for that? Oh God, me personally. I mean, <laughs> I, so D'Angelo Russell has been a hell of a lot of fun, uh, but I, it was Greg Oden for me. I mean, I, I love the idea. And again, this is on a very truncated season. The guy didn't come in until several games in the season, but watching a guy essentially be the, you know, the Bill Russell of Ohio state basketball for, you know, two thirds of a season was just unbelievably amazing for me. I, I love that so much. And I would say my runner up to that would be uh, John Diebler when he found a shot. And like, again, the Penn state game, I think where he hit like 12 threes or 11 threes or something. That is the, still the funniest basketball game I've ever seen in my entire life because First of all, it was at Penn State, I'm pretty sure. And the anger from Penn State that they can't stop this, you know, this guy from just shooting and hitting whatever he wants the entire game. Each subsequent three that he made just made it funnier. And it was it was awesome. And honestly, John Diebler started out probably my most disliked player of all time because the guy had really? so many points as an Ohio State high school basketball player terrible freshman season and then he develops into this incredible player has had this great career overseas uh was just involved in a you know a bulls trade actually he's probably not going to see he wants, it, yeah. you know ever but he's got the rights the bulls have the rights to his uh to his contract i guess um so yeah i would say those two players i think fully weaponized john diebler but but really greg odin just doing his thing it was just incredible to watch I was in here for Odin. I actually was covering the Florida team at that point. So I came here the next year. So I, I can't use Odin, but I, I, he was like a Colossus. Yeah. Um, you, I just never seen somebody that big, that athletic, that quick, um, that dominant. Um, and, and it was funny is like, there's a revisionist history now where people blame Portland for picking him. And I always caution them that it's not like it was close. Everybody in the league would have picked him over Kevin Durant. Oh yeah. Right? yeah. Everybody. Like he was the consensus number one overall pick. And I'll never forget. I just had a bad feeling when I saw he picked that Jersey number 52. I thought that was such a clanky looking number on him. And I just <laughs> never made, I just thought what a weird Jersey choice for him. And and it, I don't know, sometimes weird things happen with that. And uh, it was just a weird uniform anyway. Uh, and then the injuries happen. He's just never the same, but he was, right. he was a, such an incredible force in that final four. I mean, I remember I covered that Florida team and that Florida team obviously won back-to-back titles, but um, I remember thinking, I don't know what they're going to do with that guy. Um, there's no easy thing there. Um, you know, I'm with you on Diebler. Not as only, not only has he become a, a close personal buddy, but um, when he had it going and it's like this way now, he's 30 years old. He shoots the same. He shoots from 40 feet that they all go in. It's amazing. Right. It never worked for him in the NBA, but I think the timing was off and, so he's made a very, very good living for himself playing at the at the top top leagues in Europe for the last decade. Um, but when he got it going, there was nothing like it. And the team that Thad had his senior year was the best team in the country. They were the number yeah. one overall seed in the tournament. It was Kraft and Diebler and Buford and Deshaun Thomas and Jared Sullinger. And the team had one weakness. And the only weakness it had was going up against teams with length and height. And mm-hmm. Gene Smith was the head of the selection committee. And they, he allowed them to be the number one overall seed, but they played in the same region with Kentucky and Carolina who had all of that. And so it was the one kryptonite that team couldn't face. Even if they had beaten, even if William Buford's shot goes in and they beat <laughs> Kentucky 
yeah. after Brandon Knight hits the go-ahead in, in Newark. Even if they uh. had beaten Kentucky, the next team out was Tyler Zeller, John Henson, and Harrison Barnes. Two seven-footers and Barnes at 6'8". There was no way because the one thing Jared couldn't deal with was height. Somebody right. taller and skinnier and faster than him was always his kryptonite, and he couldn't deal with it. So they put him in a region that was – if they were in any other region, they would have walked to the Final Four. It, you know, It was the one kryptonite they had. Um, but that was the most fun you had. It's, D'Angelo Russell had a um, – we at, we who followed that team and covered them on a daily basis knew how great he was. I mean, we knew because you saw the little magic and stuff. But his coming out party was actually – it took longer than you think, but it was actually in the NCAA tournament. It wasn't until the NCAA tournament when people when he threw it was in the opening game. I believe they played VCU, if my memory serves. I was there. They did, yeah. Yeah. And he threw a a no look pass on a fast break that that was on every highlight. I think it made one shining moment. And that was like <laughs> when the nation kind of realized, oh, that's who he is. And then he, he had a really he had a decent game, if I remember, against Arizona, where they again it was just a tough matchup. But he really he was reminded superb. me. Yeah, he really reminded me in in some ways of like the basketball Braxton Miller, where it's a guy who mm-hmm. and I, like early Braxton Miller. Where you're That's, just a nice That's a nice analogy. It's a nice analogy. Yeah, you're improvising. You're doing what you need to do. You you maybe don't have the greatest talent around you, but you're like doing your best to try to like you know Picasso your way out of situations and just kind of you know improvise and do what you need to do. You're you're you know you're you're Charlie Parker. You're trying to do whatever you can to to yeah. make you know lead into gold. And it, it's it's interesting because. You know, I really enjoyed watching D'Angelo Russell play, but I'm curious how you feel about this. Do you think he would have been better served spending another year in college ball, or do you think going to the NBA was crucial for his development now? Um, Because I'm kind of split on that. He didn't, he, didn't get, he didn't get developed in the NBA. I mean, the Lakers aren't really good at developing anybody, as you see right. Ingram and Ball and everybody now. And so uh, he was thrust into the fire in the NBA. You could never tell say anybody made a mistake. By coming out when you're the number, I think he was the number two pick in the draft. So I mean, you yeah, can't super high. You, you can't say it's a mistake because the money is the money, and now he's gonna you know he's gonna make a lot of money playing basketball professionally. But um, at the time of the Lakers drafting him, I thought what a perfect place. I mean the the rena- he's gonna get get. I think he played a year with Kobe maybe or maybe mm-hmm. he was right after. I can't remember. Um, but he definitely I thought like well you could be the new maestro in Los Angeles and you know Magic Johnson will be there and what who better to learn from than him. And Magic, when he came came in and got control of the Lakers, I mean, they had some bad contracts. They had to move out, so they tied him to a contract and sent him to to Brooklyn. But they also believed that Lonzo Ball was better than D'Angelo, and and right now it doesn't look like that. Um, so it's that's a very tough question to say. Would he been better off staying and being developed? I, I think one thing about D'Angelo Russell to remember too is he was coming off of he was he was such a breath of fresh air because it was coming off of. The Amir Williams, Shannon Scott, Ugh. Sam Thompson of just dread. Yeah. Such dreadful basketball. The year before was, I mean, it was so bad. And so he was, he was just a, it was like, finally, this is fun again. Cause right. it just, it was just dreadful the year before. So it was finally I, fun again with D'Angelo. And, um, and so that, that's another part, I think, to, to why I enjoyed him so much because to me, like, it was there was joy in watching Buckeye basketball again. I wrote about that uh, last week, where I was talking not a, not a Minnesota about D'Angelo Russell, but about that you know the Trey McDonald, Amir Williams, you know, <laughs> all those dudes who are kind of trudging out there to the court, 
hucking up a couple of threes, trudging back to the sideline. Like it was, just, it was painful to watch because of the lack of effort and enthusiasm that people brought to the team. And, you know, I wrote about like Ravenel and Othello Hunter and some of these other dudes and Dallas Lauderdale who weren't great, you know, players and things like that, but they played their asses off. And I enjoyed the fact that you could have a guy come in for 17 minutes foul everybody else literally every other player on the opposing team have eight blocks you know crazy stuff like that it, the the energy level is really what i care about and yeah angel russell brought the energy you know what i mean like that's what made him so interesting and fun to watch same with greg odin you know before the injuries caught up with them greg odin was explosive like people forget that they, they talk about old man knees and all this other stuff but watching that dude he i mean his all-time biggest highlight, in my opinion, is that block that he made towards the end of the Tennessee game in the in the 2007 NCAA tournament. I he mm-hmm. he came out of nowhere like that was like a LeBron block, you know, in the, in the final. Oh, yeah. like, it was just this explosive play. Yep. And that's you know we watch basketball for the dunks and for the blocks. We don't watch basketball because we want to see a guy like you know fun him like all right, well I like, this is a good pass and he's gonna dribble five times. And just, like you watch it because you want to see crazy stuff happen and explosive players can make that happen. And a Greg Oden, a D'Angelo Russell, those are the kind of things that you want to see. And hopefully, you know, you've got a guy and maybe even Luther Muhammad who can, who can eventually get to that point. And it's, you well, want to see just, it consistently, but. You, you just said, do you think D'Angelo Russell would have been better coming back? And yeah. now that I think about it, no, emphatically not because Ohio state wasn't developing players. At right. that time, and you think about Sam Thompson was the same player for four years. Aaron Kraft had a better jump shot as a freshman than he had as a senior. Uh, Lenzel Smith was the same player when he came in to when he left. They they weren't Mark Loving, same guy the whole time. <laughs> Shannon Scott, like none of them got better. I mean, that yeah. was it's the one knock on the end of the Thad Mata run is that when you when they lost some quality assistance, they were not replaced by quality assistance, at least when it came to developing. And so those kids didn't get better. So D'Angelo Russell, no, he made the right choice. Get the hell out, man. Go get your money. You're not going to get any better here. Um, and that's unfortunately, and, and that's something that I'm, when you mentioned Luther Muhammad, can he get to be that type of player? I don't know. But what I'm excited about is he, he will be developed. I do believe that um, he will get better as his career goes along. And, you know, that's what you can ask. That, that's one, that's one thing you should be able to ask for out of your basketball program. So, uh, Again, brutal week this week at Michigan. And then those four games that are all winnable for this year's incarnation of Buckeye basketball. And and hopefully it does it it, it goes that way and we can stay in the hunt. That would be fun. Knock off Michigan, that'd be wonderful. To me, obviously very, very uphill. But um, but certainly lots still to play for on the Buckeye basketball season. Provide us with some, some excitement to get us through the cold months. One other thing I want to get to before we get to uh, ask us anything in a little bit was how much I hate the early signing day for college football. <laughs> <laughs> One of my yeah. favorite things when I was in Florida and when I first got to Columbus was all of the pomp and circumstance surrounding National Signing Day, the first Wednesday in February. The month-long buildup to it through January, who got the last visit, who got all this stuff. It came at the perfect time for us in, in, you know, in the website business or in the TV business, radio business, whatever, because it was, it was a dead time. You know, the football season had long been over, right? And so that was this was this got you through January. This got you to National Signing Day. And by moving it and having this early signing day in December, most of the kids, I didn't know, I don't think they anticipated it going this way, but most of the kids signed then. And right. so there's there's really nothing left 
There's very little left to be decided on what used to be National Signing Day, and it stinks. There were some of the craziest sports stories I've ever covered in my life were around National Signing Day, including driving to the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania for Terrell Pryor to say he's not ready. <laughs> I mean, like the entire media throng went to Pennsylvania for this kid's National Signing Day, and then he said he wasn't ready. Right. He was going to do it after basketball. Like, how delusional were the people in Jeanette PA who allowed him to do that? It was crazy. Um, but it was gorgeous. Like, this was what National Signing Day was, is it was the absurdity of this. And so I really think it sucks that it's that the, that absurdity has been taken away from me. I miss some of the the anachronisms too, you know, where it's like we're going to use fax machines for the one day out of the 365 right. days in the year. I, I do miss it a little bit. Come in, yeah, and they they got like a you know they have a webcam you know trained in oh, on yeah. their fax machines. Yeah, I love that. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's silly and it's dumb, but you're right. It, it was kind of a fun day because it kind of all built to it. And then you would have these these special things. I know people got sick of hat ceremonies and stuff, but frankly, like... I didn't. Yeah, I didn't either. I didn't either. I, the the no. stupider and the more ridiculous, the better. If, if you are like... I don't care if you're jumping out of planes or you're blowing up like like a box or something. I, however it worked out, I thought the crazier and more ridiculous, the better. I wanted to see like elephants being paraded down Main Street or like, yes. I don't know, like octopuses, like picking balls out of a bucket. I don't yes. care what it was. I, I love the circus. Yeah, it was it was goofy. <laughs> and you know what? Frankly, like, why not? Like, these are high school kids. They can do whatever they want. This is the last big you know, party really with their high school teammates and their coaches and stuff. They can do whatever the hell they want. So I miss that. And it's, I'm <laughs> from a business perspective, I feel like I'm a little split on it because I almost feel like it's, it's worse for us in terms of the clicks, because once you divide your time between it, people aren't quite as excited about the, the moment. There's anymore. no There's doubt. Not a single I mean, day. You'd have to ask the czar, but I'm sure that, that the numbers are down compared to what it would have been like before. Yeah. And the other thing is, is you already had clicks in December because it was in between the Michigan game and the bowl game. So there's already a ton of news at that time. You don't need it then. It's nice having a little a little life raft at the beginning of February. You know? And plus, the whole month of January drives it. Right. From a content it, it, it leads up. Everybody's freaking every out. Yeah. Everybody's freaking out. No, You're going on Tennessee message boards. You're creating a you know, yeah, fake alternate awesome. account when you get banned. Like, that's, you know. <laughs> it's awesome. I miss it so much. Yeah, it sucks. And I, you know, I think the coaches hate it too. Um, you know, I think, and I think honestly, it's part of the reason that uh, Ryan day was hired the way he was hired so that, so that they could get him locked and loaded and signed before that first signing day. Oh, I, mean, I think they want to go that way anyway, but it's so they could get him locked and loaded for that first signing day. So kids couldn't back out of those commitments because otherwise right. you, you would have had kids, you know, pulling their commitments and going somewhere else. And this allowed for, you know, what ended up being a really strong class pound for pound. Um, so, I mean, he benefited from it, but, but it's a, uh, it sucks. I, I really enjoyed that. The absurdity of driving around to like every high school in North Florida and South Georgia or around the Columbus area and watching kids make their decisions and having people on the edge of their seats and ooh and ah and groan. Fantastic. I mean, it's just <laughs> so great. I miss it so much. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it was, if it was in a normal year, it would be this Wednesday would be when it would be right. Cause that's February. What are yeah, we talking about? Are we, no, I, it's actually, this, it would actually it'd be, be the next, week, it'd be next be the week. Sixth. It'd be next week, the sixth. So, okay. yeah, yeah it's a shame. I'll miss it. 
I'll miss it a great deal. All right, be sure to visit 11 Warriors Dry Goods for hats, shirts, stickers, and more, drygoods.11warriors.com. All right, my friend, time for Ask Us Anything. Do you have anything for us today, my friend? I do. And Nelson, I got to, first of all, you guys can go ahead and send us a question, any question that you would like to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast on Twitter. Nelson, you really, you, you, you outdid yourself. We've got many, many, many topics and ideas. We're going to pick uh, one of these here from you, buddy. Um, you mentioned once, Bo, about how Clemson uses, uh, Dabo really kind of leans hard into the religion angle sometimes with regards yeah. to recruiting and whatnot. Sure. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, that's a community thing that a lot of people. Well, he walks the walk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what are some other tactics that you might be privy to that might be unique to other schools or maybe people wouldn't quite realize? Or maybe at least ones that you've been aware of in the past. Well, I mean, I can't think of anything quite as unique as that. But I do think, I mean, I suppose you can imagine it if you stop and think about it. But I don't know if you can properly appreciate the lengths the Southern schools go uh, where the co-eds are concerned mm-hmm. for the recruits. Well, like, and they tend to see so, thing about that, right? It's so over the top um, with especially like, well, I'll just tell you this story. Like, and this is a well-known story. It was actually why, you know, some of the changes came to recruiting. There right. was an incredible player out of Miami named Willie Williams. Do you remember okay. Willie Williams? He I was don't. A five-star linebacker. He was uh, just a beast of a football player. And he was being recruited everywhere. I think he ended up – I don't think he ever amounted to much. But I think he ended up at Miami is where he eventually signed with. But he was he was like the big, big, big player. And he had a huge personality. And um, it was Florida State was involved as they were at that time. It was you know still a Bowden was recruiting like a madman. And um, they were recruiting Willie Williams. And – he came to Tallahassee and he ate at my buddy's restaurant, which was called the Silver Slipper, which basically made its living. He basically made his living. It was a family restaurant, steakhouse. Um, it was awesome. Like you'd go into a booth and they'd pull a curtain like it was that type of joint. And sure. um, so total privacy, like really old school Southern white tablecloth joint. And you would um, he, he basically the business succeeded and flourished for two reasons. Number one, um, at that time, lobbyists could spend as much as they wanted at restaurants uh, to lobby. And so all the lobbyists from the Capitol went there. And then the other thing was Florida state recruiting. So Florida state would recruit these kids. They'd come in, the big kids would come in on a Friday and Friday night, they'd go to the silver slipper and they could order anything they wanted. And I don't mean that they could order anything they wanted surf and turf. I mean, Willie Williams in his diary in the Miami Herald, and you can Google this, it's stunning. And this changed recruiting rules. He ordered eight lobsters and seven fillets and 15 crab legs and documented all of it and um and put it in the miami herald and the ncaa said well we can't have this um and so what was crazy though about it was is it wasn't just that it was like the well like at florida they called them gator getters Mm -hmm. um i forget what they called them at florida state but the these were the most beautiful young women and were dressed so scandalously and i never saw it when i got to columbus i think partly because it's cold when most of the kids were doing their visits Mm. um but you can't you can't understand what it was like in the south unless you saw it unless you just saw how obtuse it was what they were the way they went about their business 
so that was the thing that was really shocking. Yeah, and I know a little bit about like I've I've heard from other people about that, and I, I know some other things you know related to other schools, pretty much the same thing. Yeah, but it. So that's not a surprise to me. But what is surprising, or not surprising, but the, I've th- I've thought about that kind of thing for a while. I guess is what I'm mm-hmm. trying to say, and I put myself in the shoes of a recruit, and maybe I'm just a different person or something like that, but I would immediately like that would raise my ears. Like I would go, are you kidding me? Like this, this smells like a scam. Like somebody's going to steal my wallet and leave me for dead in a back alley. Like I wouldn't trust any of that. Like any of that. Well, the problem is 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 they're all doing it though. They're all doing it. So whether you go to Florida, Florida state, Alabama, you know, that's what they, that was what all of them did. Right. So it wasn't like it was, if you were a recruit, you just thought, plus you're, you know, you're 17 year old red blooded, boy sure yeah. yeah like you can't even wrap your head wait these are college girls and they're taking me out dressed like this and i'm eating right. lobster i'm eating 18 lobsters like you know like it's it was just the craziest uh it was so over the top it was just so over the top and i'm sure it happened in columbus too it just mm-hmm. wasn't quite as you know columbus is such a much bigger town it's it's a little bit easier to you know hide those things in tallahassee on a recruiting friday you knew where they were and they were at the silver slipper which consequently, wow. because of the article in William Williams, and because of Florida passed a law where uh, that said that you could that lobbyists couldn't entertain uh, government officials. Like it was like with it, I think they they couldn't do it off of a certain area. Like it could only be done at the Capitol. He went out of business. He had to sell the business because that was his Jeez. whole business was based on that. That's crazy. Was based on those two things. Yeah, it's nuts. Um, yep. All right. Well, second question. Second question here. This is from our a uh, good friend Alvin, and he simply wants to know. I'm glad. I'm glad he's asking this because I've been thinking about it for a while. What is the best case scenario for Dwayne in the draft? And is the Giants is that the ideal place for him? It's pretty good. Um, of the teams that need quarterbacks, Giants, Redskins, Jacksonville are the most obvious. Sure. Giants is by far and away the best circumstance. He would be drafted by one of the blue blood teams of the NFL. He would be drafted into a team that already has Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham Jr. He would be, um, be able to learn at the foot at the feet of Eli Manning, not even necessarily the quarterback position, but just how to be a pro. Mm -hmm. He'd learn that from Eli Manning for a year. At least he would not have to play. There wouldn't be much pressure to play him unless the season got away. So that'd be down the road. He certainly wouldn't be a week one starter. Um, so to me, like, and, and every single mock draft that I've seen has him going there. I mean, everyone has Nick Bosa number one, and it has him to the Giants at six. So unless somebody comes up to steal him, and because so many quarterbacks were taken last year in the draft, there aren't that many teams that need quarterbacks. I mean, it's really the Giants, the Redskins, Jacksonville, and Jacksonville's probably going to go the veteran route. Maybe Denver. There aren't that many teams that need quarterbacks. So, I mean, to me, it just seems like a no-brainer that he ends up with the Giants, and, and I think it'd be a pretty good spot for him. I think it's the best spot by far. I mean, you said it with Saquon, especially Saquon. I mean, obviously, you know, Odell Beckham. But, like, the the idea is, and the knock, I guess, that's been on Dwayne is that, all right, well, he's not throwing downfield. He's not, you know, he's doing a lot of these check downs, and he's, he's just getting guys on these little routes. Well, guess what? Squad Barker can do all that. And oh, if gosh, you want to yeah. have a safety net that can take it 80 yards after you yeah. drop down 10, that's that's him. And so yep. I, I just think it's an incredibly good transition from Ohio State and what Ohio State was doing on offense last season to the Giants. I think that is an incredibly good spot for him. And I'm frankly going to be pretty sad if he ends up like in Jacksonville 
instead of with the Giants because I that is just the perfect setup for that dude. And I hope he gets it because I think that would be great, especially in a city like yeah. New York City, which he would love. He would get the attention that I don't think he got this season. I, I am just hoping and praying that the dude lands in in, in the Giants. So yeah, we'll see. Just I mean, that's, no yeah. Say again. It just seems like a no-brainer. I mean, I don't know yeah. where it just seems like exactly where he'll be. Yeah. So it, it, that's fingers crossed on that one. This is actually, I would say, this is probably the. I mean, yeah, you've got Ohio State players that have been going really high. This is probably the most invested I've been in an Ohio State player, like ending up where I really want him to end up uh, in a yeah. long time. So, you know, because you got a defensive player, you know, Joey, but obviously I'm interested in where you're going to go. You know, I, I want to see yeah. which team you're going to be on. But it's not sure. one of those things where you're going to be the the focal point. But when you've got a quarterback that's going to be a top ten selection, you know this is like this is like Ezekiel. We haven't had one since Schleister, right? So when you've got a, a you yeah. know a huge marquee position like running back or quarterback, you want to know where those dudes are going to end up. And and you know if you're a high state fan, you want it to be in a good position so they can have a, a successful career. I mean, it worked out for Zeke, and and hopefully oh, it geez. works out here with Dwayne. Well, it seemed predetermined that he that Zeke would be a cowboy and it feels the same way with Dwayne a giant. I mean, yeah. it was like there was every single domino lined up to fall for Zeke Elliott to the Cowboys. And it feels that same way with Dwayne at the giants. Yeah, I agree. So unless somebody trades up and does something crazy, I, I think that's where he's going to end up. So, uh, and that's ask us anything this week, keep sending those questions in and, and yeah, we'll, we'll keep answering them. All right. Good stuff, my friend. We will be back next week. Before we say goodbye, though, don't forget to follow the Love and Dubcast on Twitter and rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next week, my friend, have a good week. Yep, you too.